0: Matthew chapter 6 this morning we started on the Lord's Prayer verse 8 of the sixth chapter says be not ye therefore like unto them for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him after this manner therefore pray ye Matthew 6 9 now our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Let me just emphasize something that I did not mention this morning and that is the phrase there that says after this manner. I believe that if we just bow our heads and say these very words that is not what Jesus had in mind. He was giving us a pattern by which we could pray. In other words, many churches today will have people stand <clears throat> in the service, they'll just quote the Lord's Prayer. Well, that does not have much more value to it than reading a prayer to the Lord that, you know, that you've taken out of a book. Uh, I, I don't think that too many of you, when you propose to your wives, you felt, I don't think you wrote out a note and then knelt down in front of her and said, just a minute, let me get over here where the light is and I want to read something to you, and then propose to them reading something to them. There wouldn't be too much personal about that. Uh, So the Lord is saying here, this is the pattern by which you should come into my presence, into the Father's presence. And we talked this morning about, first of all, the upward look of identification, our Father. We pray to the Father in the name of Jesus. We talked about the confession that God is holy. And the scripture says, be ye holy even as the Lord your God is holy. Don't let anyone tell you that we have an excuse for unrighteousness that God winks at unrighteousness today that you know that we can you know God understands if we flip and flop and all this. he says be ye holy even as the Lord your God is holy we should never come into the place where we give excuses for misbehaving or disobedience we should always have the same attitude toward disobedience that God has toward disobedience now I'm not saying that you and I won't come into disobedience but what I am saying is that our attitude should be such that when we come into obedience we, we, we agree with God just exactly what it is. Lord that's disobedience and I don't want it in my life. And I'm confessing it to you and I'm asking you to take it away. You see because you're holy and I want to be holy. Now I know that the word of God says that the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh the two are contrary to the one to the other. But it's like the old Indian said with the white and the black dog that are in him fighting all the time the one that wins is the one that I feed the most. And so if we feed the white dog, it's going to win. And so where he says, after this manner, pray, he's saying, Here's the pattern by which you should approach the heavenly father. Not that you should quote this verbatim every time as a religious form. And I think that's important for us to understand. God wants us to talk to him out of our heart and not just to quote some words. The third thing under the upward look was submission that we began to talk about this morning. And that's where it says thy kingdom come thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven let me just quickly bring this out thy kingdom come i think that another translation could be thy kingdom be completed you see just as soon as the kingdom of god is completed what's going to be the next thing to happen jesus is going to come isn't he when the last one that needs to be saved is saved the Lord's going to come back and in the lord's prayer what we're actually saying there lord in my life i want to see that kingdom come i'm agreeing with you that your kingdom should come let us as a church do the work that needs to be done in the world it's pretty hard to do that if we're not interested in lost souls pretty hard to pray about that if we're not concerned about the world going to hell And so jesus said of our attitude and our heart is right when we pray we will pray lord thy kingdom come help us to fulfill and complete the kingdom of god so that jesus can come back and it goes on to explain how that can be done Thy kingdom be completed, or thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We know that God's will is being done in heaven today. And hear what it says, in earth. I brought this out one other time in another message. You and I are made from what? Out of the dust of the ground we were formed. And, what, and when we die, we go back to dust, don't we? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth, in this kingdom. You know, Jesus said, for the kingdom of God is within you, didn't it? Well, if the kingdom of God is within me, and I'm praying, Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth, as it is in heaven, in the kingdom, your kingdom here on earth, let your will be done in my life. Let your will be done in the lives of all those who confess to be a part of the kingdom of God. It's being done in heaven, now let it be done on earth also. I think that's a good prayer. Lord, let your will be done in in the kingdom of God right here in my heart and in the kingdom of all the believers who are just dust in your sight. Luke 17, 21, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. It's in this vessel, the writer of the Hebrew calls this a vessel of clay, earthen vessels. That's the upward look. Then quickly we'll go on to the inward look, verses 11 and 12. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Simply let me share with you the the amplification of what this is actually saying. For every believer, I think the multimillionaire who is a believer should still be able to pray this prayer every morning. Give us this day our daily bread. What it's actually saying is, Father... I know that I cannot put my trust in earthly things or the arm of flesh. It will always fail. If you don't believe that, go back to the Depression when all the multi-multi-millionaires began jumping out of windows and putting guns up to their heads and pulling the trigger. They thought there was no way that they could ever come up short, and they came up totally at a loss. I remember Beverly's grandfather telling us the story of how at one time he was building large subdivisions, and the next thing you know he had to go back to to a family that he had given a home to given them a home, an old house. They didn't have anything. and They moved into this old house. He said, you can have it. He was very prosperous. He came back and asked him if he could live in the upstairs attic if he would finish it off. And that's where they lived during the Depression. And he said, it made me suddenly realize what it means to every day know that if you're going to have your daily bread you better trust in the Lord. That's why the Word of God says that there's very few rich that enter in the kingdom of God because They don't feel like they have to trust in the Lord. And one whose heart and attitude is right with God, their daily understanding will be that God is my source. I will not put my faith and trust in the arm of flesh. I'll not put it in material things. What did James say about the gold cankering and everything rusting and and just uh, corroding away? He said, don't put your trust in gold and precious things here on earth, but rather put them in the Lord. So everyone, no matter if you've got a bank account today that says $100,000 or more, if you're smart, spiritually wise, you'll get up every morning and say, give us this day our daily bread. You're my source, Lord. Because in a moment, all these material things can be taken away. And I think that this is something that you and I need to reevaluate every day. What if it is taken away? Will your total foundation crumble? If it will, then your foundation is built improperly. It's not you have an improper foundation. You and I are to be built upon Jesus Christ. He is to be our foundation. And if you seek the kingdom of God first all these other things will be added unto you it didn't say given unto you but added unto you and if they're added unto you they can be subtracted from you and you shouldn't feel as though you've lost anything because god gave it what did job say the lord giveth the lord taketh away how can you do that no he didn't say that blessed be the name of the lord he his foundation was right wasn't it give us this day our daily bread god you're my source You've blessed me with many material things, but I understand that none of them are mine. I will not grasp and hold on to those things. I'll simply become your steward and ask you how I'm to function with these blessings you've given me. You know, if every one of us knew right where we are financially right now, if we knew that next week for sure we're going to stand in the presence of God, would we operate with our finances any differently than we are right now? Would we keep chucking it into that old savings account just in case a rainy day comes along? Would we be out there grasping for more businesses? Would we be lunging to try to gain more material things around us if we knew in a week we're going to go? How many of you know you won't go in a week? So it gives us an impetus to say, give us this day our daily bread. I'm your servant, Lord. I own nothing. Everything that I have belongs to you. You see the depth of this prayer? It's a pattern for us to just to begin to analyze. Now, what do you mean by that, Lord? He said, Not many rich, not many wise enter into the kingdom of God. Why? Because they've never come to that place where every day they just say, Lord, you're my source. If you've given it to me and you can take it away because that's not my security, you're my security, you're my foundation. Let me tell you something, that's where peace comes. That's what Jesus meant when he said, Peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. That's why the true believer can have everything removed and stand in perfect peace. That's why a believer can be isolated and, and put in, uh, on an island, isolated from everyone else. What do they call that when they put them out on an island? Exile. Exile them on an island or put them somewhere where no one else can reach them. And it's like one saint of old said, how can anyone exile me? I've, I've been exiled ever since I've been on earth because this isn't my home. I've been exiled here on this earth until Jesus calls me home. So put me anywhere you want to on this earth. I'm still in exile, even if I'm in the midst of a crowd of people, because this earth is not my home. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. You know, a person could, again, take an awfully long time to just bring out the depth of meaning in that portion of the prayer, but I want you just to look with me for a few moments, first of all, at Matthew, the 6th chapter. 14 and 15, at the end of the prayer there. You see, there is no contradiction in God's Word. Everywhere you read it, it's the same. If you get it lined up properly. He shows the importance of doing what he's saying here. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In Matthew the 18th chapter, you don't have to turn to it right now, but you can look at it later. The last part of Matthew 18, Jesus went into detail concerning the fact that if you and I do not forgive others, their debts toward us, then He'll not forgive us. But not only will He not forgive us, but He will turn us over to the tormentors until the full price is paid. We've ministered in deliverance to people who have been turned over to the tormentors and couldn't get anywhere until we came around and said, wait a minute, where do you have unforgiveness in your life? Well, I don't know. There's got to be someone that you're holding resentment or bitterness or, or hatred toward. Who is it? we'd say, now, Father, in the name of Jesus, let the Holy Spirit show this person where that, oh, I forgot all about that. In fact, I, I remember a time when we were ministering to one person, he couldn't remember anyone. And the Spirit of God gave us a word of knowledge as to who he was holding resentment against. And he wasn't even aware of it anymore. It had gone down so far and he had pushed it out of his conscious mind. But when he began to confess that resentment bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred, and get it out of his system, and ask God to forgive him, and in the name of Jesus, by an act of his will, forgive, he was instantly set free in the other areas that had been tormented. He had been turned over to the tormentors, because he had failed to forgive. Now he puts this in the prayer here, and he puts it in the condition that God's Word puts it. Forgive us our trespasses as we, to the same degree that we, forgive those who trespass against us. I just want you to know that for you and me to go to God in prayer and ask him to forgive us our shortcomings and our sins and for us to hold in our heart any, any, I'm trying to think of slight shade of unforgiveness. is just like me trying to walk through that wall before I get my new body. It just doesn't happen. God says, "I, I don't know why, but we just got cut off. It reminds me what happened on the way on the way to Dallas. Poor Mindy was driving Kevin's car for a while so Kevin could sleep. And she and Jeff and Jody were having just a terrible time because they couldn't communicate. Now, Mindy had Kevin's CB and Jeff had a CB and they had been communicating all the way. And so finally, well, I wasn't aware of it, of course, but I could see her back there talking and talking and all, you know, like this. And finally, I... We pulled off to get some fuel and we got out and Jeff and Kevin walked up and they said, well, now we know why. I said, why? I said, you're on channel 20 and we were on channel 21. Oh, I must have bumped it when I got in. Well, now the both CBs were working, but they weren't on the same frequency. And it didn't matter how much she wanted to yell and shake that microphone and shake the CB, they weren't getting through at all. And God says, if you don't forgive others, I don't forgive you. We're not on the same frequency. It just won't work. Some people say, oh, yes, he will. I know he loves me. I know it. God says, hey, don't call me a liar. I told you, if you don't forgive, I don't forgive. Oh, but God is so good. God says, I'm good, but I'm just too. I'm holy also, and I won't look on sin. If you don't forgive, I won't forgive. We've never yet had successful deliverance until there's been repentance of unforgiveness. And so the Lord says, when you pray, remember this. Start analyzing. If you can think of someone that's got ought against you or you've got ought against when you come to pray, quit praying. Quit praying. Get up and go to that person and get it straightened out. Now, I didn't say that. Jesus said that. Stop right where you are. Get away from the throne or the the altar and go and make that right. Get it settled and then come back. Then we'll talk. No, he doesn't play around about that. I have seen many, many Christians who just carry little grudges in every pocket. You reach in this pocket, oh boy, that's a whoop. Reaching this one, a little bit of resentment over here, a little bitterness. God says, you might as well forget it. Stay away from the altar. Don't even pray. Don't even talk to me until you get that settled. That's heavy, isn't it? Now, when you hear some of the sloppy Agapi preaching that's going on today, to listen to some of them, you'd think that you can just do anything you want to do and just walk into God's presence in a, in a casual suit and a, and a chain with a watch on the end of it, just sling it in, just come swaggering into God's presence and say, Here I am, Lord, you lucky thing. And that isn't what the Word says. It says, Forgive. If you don't, I don't. That's why we call this the inward look. The Lord, we have needs. And he says, no, don't worry about your need. I know what you have need of before you even ask, but I want you to ask. I want you to recognize that I'm your source. Don't say, well, next week I'm going to get thus and such because I'm going to get a raise in this job and now I can go get that. No, that's your wrong source. Lord, you're my source. If you want me to have a raise, fine. If you want me to get it, fine. But I'm not going to look to that raise as being my source. You're my source. And then I, see, that's, that's the key, the inward... Analyzing and putting in proper priority what our source really is. And then to recognize that that source can be cut off just like that if we don't forgive. Thirdly, the outward look. Oh, excuse me, there is one more verse. 1 John 3 14 and 15. 1 John 3 14 and 15. Maybe I should read verse 13 also in case some of you are going through a trauma. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. Better underscore that because more and more in the days ahead as you walk with the Lord, you're going to find that true. 1 John 3, 13. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Now, let me just translate that into modern English. Jesus said, if you're walking around every day with hatred in your heart, you're lost. Hello. We know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. That's what Jesus said. I didn't. Did you just read it? Did I misread that? Did you get that? Isn't that what he said? He that loveth not his brother abideth in what? Is that life? Death isn't life, is it? You say, well, it's an option. There's some people I just can't love. Jesus said, hey, love them. Love your enemy. Love your neighbor, love your enemy, love your wife. Whatever level you want to love them on, but you're going to love them. Well, I can't love them. Oh yes, you can. If you're saved, you can love them, because God save, forgave you of a twenty million dollar debt, and you—they only give you, you, they only owe you one day's wages in comparison. He says, "You forgive." I won't. That's right. It isn't. You can't. It's you won't. And if you won't, then Jesus isn't Lord, and it's evidence that He's not in control in your life. And John said here. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. If you don't have eternal life abiding in you, what do you have? Hello? Death abiding in you, don't you? I didn't say that. John said that. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said, And forgive us our trespasses as, to the same degree and in the same measure, That we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, if you've never had an impetus before and a motivation before to forgive people, you have now. Because if you don't, when the Lord turns you over to the tormentors, all sorts of nasty things can happen. I've seen people who have borne resentment and bitterness and and hatred for years, eaten up on the inside with cancer or arthritis or... All these other things coming upon them. And the Lord says, I don't want you to have those things, so I'm telling you, if you'll forgive as an act of your will, if you'll totally forgive, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you, I'll forgive you, and the tormentors will have to quit working then. They can only work where there's an environment that's adaptable for their work. Thirdly, the outward look. And that's the outward look of intercession. Verse 13, lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, literally deliver us from the evil one. By the way, let me just say again that forgiving others releases us from the enemy's power, from the evil one. When we forgive, then we're forgiven, and when we forgive and are forgiven, that breaks the power of Satan in our lives. And there can be no outward look and no inward look until there is that upward look of adoration and total yieldedness and submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. David, who had a heart after God's own heart, who was a man after God's own heart, says that we're to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. If we're going to worship the Lord at all, he says it's going to be in the beauty of holiness because God is holy, and God desires that we be holy people. And consequently... (coughs) When we come to him, he wants us to come before him with clean hearts, with an intelligent approach to him that's obedient to the word of God. Now, you see, we don't go around in in, uh, not knowing and understanding when we're in disobedience if we know the word at all. Most of the time, it isn't the case of not knowing. It's not wanting to talk about our disobedience. And so God doesn't just come out and strike us, as I've said before, and then we say... uh, uh, what, what was that for, Lord? And He say, well, you guess. And he slaps us again. We say, well, what was, that? was that for this? No, wrong thing, something else. He doesn't keep us in a guessing game. When we come before him, his Holy Spirit will show us areas that he wants to deal with. Now, he will move us from one thing, and if we won't deal with that one thing, he'll just stop. But if we'll deal with that one thing in our life, then he'll move on and he'll show us something else. And Oh, Lord, I don't want to talk about that. And he'll work with us until we find they're willing to talk about that. And He'll move that out. We'll move it out by confession and repentance. And He'll go on to the next thing. And before long we'll find that we're walking in the light. We have fellowship with Him. It's an intelligent fellowship. It's a fellowship where, like Paul says, I have a clean conscience toward God and man. That's what the Lord wants us to have every day. You know, there there just needs to come. And I'm not talking about bondage at all. I'm talking about a holy sense of awe concerning the God that we serve. We become almost too familiar sometimes with Him. Sometimes I've been around churches where I've seen people who have become too familiar even with their their pastor. They'll call him Gus or Charlie or whatever, you know, uh, when they're introducing him to other people. Uh, I've seen them come up to their teachers, children come up to their teachers and say, uh, Mom, this is Mary. Boy, well, when I was in school, you didn't say this is Mary, this is Mrs. Higginbottom or whatever it was. And you said it with deep respect, or <laughs> you might end up halfway across the room. But we, we've become almost flippant in this thing. You know that back in, in the early times of the writing of the Scripture, that those that were responsible for translation Copying the scriptures. They did it by hand. That when they would come to the name of God back then, the Jewish name was Yahweh. Yahweh. You couldn't, it's not a word. You, I mean, we'd would bring it out. If we wanted to put some emphasis to it, it'd be Yahweh or Yahweh. But back then they would whisper it. They wouldn't even say the name out loud because that name was so holy to them. And when they would be writing these scriptures with a quill, and they would come to the word God they would lay that quill down, take up a new quill, and write it the name of God in there. And then they would take that quill and throw it away. And pick up the quill and begin to write it again, right on the rest of the scriptures. If they came to the name God again, they would throw it away. Just an attitude of awe in the holiness of God. You know, Susie said this week she's been reading the book of Revelation, but I find that the English language is very, very limited in trying to describe the majesty of our God. How do we say He's big, He's wonderful, He's powerful, and it's so limited? When you just begin to think of all that He has created and all the things that are under His control and that all things were made by Him, without Him was not anything made that was made, and all things are upheld by the word of His power, and you begin to try to grasp that and your mind goes, tilt will not compute. And you begin to let your mind go out in that area and then come back and say, and to think, my God, that you ever thought of me. I worship you and I just adore you. And you'll find yourself going off just praying in the spirit because your spirit has much more expression than the flesh and the mind do. The word of God says, if we'll humble ourselves in the sight of God, he will exalt us. And we can be determined in our heart that in all things, because of who he is, And what he has manifested himself to be to us. That we're going to be determined that in all things he will have the preeminence. Jesus Christ is to be preeminent in every area of our life. I want to ask you tonight. Is he really? Is Jesus Christ preeminent? When you begin to think of Christ and God the Father. And the Holy Spirit. Does there come to you a sense of gratefulness and thankfulness and humility and wonder as to why He even thought about you or me? If not, we we need to go back and analyze again just who God is and the wonderful plan of salvation that He provided for us and His purpose in life. Jesus said, "As the Father hath called me, sent me, so send I you." He has sent us with a holy calling bring the message of the gospel to the world and I like what an old cowboy said I'd rather see a sermon any day than hear it because what we do speaks so loudly that people can't hear what we say and if we do the right things what we say will only enforce what we're doing if we do the wrong things it doesn't make any difference what we say they're not going to hear it anyway But if people can look at us and tell by our attitude in our everyday life that these things of the earth are secondary and Jesus Christ is preeminent, they'll begin to hunger and say, Sirs, what must we do to inherit eternal life? That's where the answer lies. Them seeing little Christs walking up and down the street, holy even as God is holy in all manner of living. Would you bow your heads and pray? I know how the Holy Spirit works, and I, I know that tonight and this morning, He just quietly comes over and puts His finger on an area in your life and mine and says, here's an area where I'm not Lord. Here's an area that you've grasped, and I want you to let go of it and let me have it. I want you to reevaluate your relationship to me. I'm your heavenly Father, and I'm holy and I desire for you to be holy. I want my kingdom to be be completed. But it can't be completed until my will can be done in you. Let me be your source. And you forgive even as I forgive. If you don't, I won't. But if you will, I will. For thine, O Lord, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And as I think of those last words of the prayer, I recognize something that all these things that we count so dear and so important around us right now aren't going to count one whit in eternity. We won't take any of it with us, any of the influence, any of the importance, any of the fashion, any of the material blessings. None of those will go with us, but we'll have to answer for every single one of them that's come into our hands as to how we use them in the light of the kingdom of God and fulfilling the will of God. Maybe God wants to talk to you about an area like that. Whatever He says to you, whatever He shows you, submit to Him. Preempt everything else and listen to what the Lord says. Some of you young people, what are you going to do with your lives? You may have big plans. Oh, you're going to do this, you're going to go to that, and you're going to do the other thing. Why don't you stop right now and just ask the Lord to preempt every other plan that you've had and to show you what He wants you to do with your life. And you could be a medical doctor and make a lot of people well, but they're still going to die. You could be a businessman and be a multimillionaire, a billionaire. Like Solomon says, I worked like a fool to earn all this money and now I'll die and some fool will come along and spend it all for me. There's no meaning to that outside of the kingdom of God. If God wants you to be in those areas, then your purpose will not be there for any other reason than how can I glorify Jesus Christ in this position? How can I honor Him? You see, He's either Lord of everything or He's not Lord at all. He wants to be in total control. Is He? Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all to the glory of God. Whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might as unto the Lord. That's what the Scriptures tell us. That means that in our job and at school, in our homes, wherever we are, young and old alike, everything we do do is to exalt and uplift the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. He is to be preeminent. Will you let him have the preeminence in each one of those areas tonight that he's put his finger on? See, I don't have to tell you what those areas are. You already know. He's already talking to you about them. I probably didn't even preach about those areas, but the Spirit of God has, and he's put his finger on it. Now, what are you going to do with it? That's the key. See, James says, don't just be a hearer, be a doer. He says, if you're just a hearer, you're fooling yourselves. You're deceiving yourself. What will you do about it? Are you holding any resentment in your heart tonight? Quit praying. Just hang it up. Don't pray anymore. Until you get it straightened out and then come back. Then you can get somewhere with the Lord. How many by the upraised hands say the Lord dealt with me tonight and I've committed another area of my life to Him? Just slip it up and a Yes. Yes, God bless you. Yes, praise the Lord. Praise God. Amen. Father, we really desire to make Jesus Christ preeminent in our lives. We want you to be in total control. We ask that you'll allow the Holy Spirit to open every door in our lives. We, without reservation tonight, want you to be in control. I thank you tonight for the working of the Holy Spirit in each of our hearts. We ask tonight that the Spirit of God will do that weeding and seeding and that we'll do the heeding. That we'll be prepared and our hearts will be prepared to receive the truth that you've got for us as a body of believers, the blessings you've got for us as a body of believers in the days ahead. Minister these truths to our hearts tonight. And each one that's made that commitment, Father, I ask in Jesus' name in some way that they'll be able to just... Mark it down. Write it down somewhere that I've driven a stake tonight. I've committed a new area to Jesus Christ. And I refuse by the grace of God. I refuse to take it back. Jesus is Lord of that area from this day forward. And I refuse to allow the enemy to take control again. I repent of that disobedience. I repent of that foolishness. And tonight I just ask the Spirit of God to come and take control. And that Jesus be Lord of that area. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for working in our hearts tonight. Thank you for the word. We just ask tonight that because of the truth that we've received and we'll act upon tonight, that in the days ahead we'll see fruit. Much fruit. Much fruit that will remain in Jesus' precious name. And all of God's people said, Amen.